Welcome, baseball fans, to the latest episode of the Banish to the Pen podcast, a group baseball blog produced by diehard fans of the podcast, Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ryan Sullivan, editor-in-chief of NatchGM.com and the baron of all baseball podcasts. This week's show, I am proud to welcome back uh, Banish to the Pen author and Viva Alberto's writer as well. I've got Alex Crisofuli on the line. Alex, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Ryan. Uh, great to be on. Yeah, it's been a little while. I see you online, but I haven't actually had you on the pod here in a little while. So uh, first and foremost, how are you? And uh, maybe remind everybody uh, kind of who you are, where they can find your work, Twitter handle, and you know the good stuff. Sure, I'm I'm doing great. I uh, I'm in San Diego right now, so it's very early here. But I'm happy to wake up at six thirty on a Saturday and talk to you because that's a, that's what I think of you, Ryan. That's I don't I don't think anybody I, think I don't think anybody thinks that well of me. So I appreciate that very much. Even my wife. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I have my I have my effectively wild coffee mug uh, filled up to the top, so I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. But yeah, you can find my work on. Uh, Viva Alberto's, and I'm on Twitter at AlexCard79. Yeah, definitely a must-follow uh, and a must-read over at Viva Alberto's. Uh, I, I definitely make sure I venture over there when you uh, produce something. Ah, thank you. So uh, I, I, maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit, but I think this is the perfect time because you just mentioned it. Was uh, You said you just recently moved out to the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, we were talking a little bit off-air uh, just about – what you've experienced the difference of being a, a sports fan on the West Coast versus the East Coast. And I, I've always kind of wondered, you know, is it better being a fan on the West Coast and you get baseball starting at 4 o'clock and you've got, you know, your NFL football starting at 10 a.m.? I mean, uh, on Sunday, what's the experience been like? Or what what is it like for you? Yeah, it's definitely different. And I would err on the side of saying it's better. Uh, especially the football that you just mentioned. I mean, it's 7.09 here a.m., and football is about to start in an hour and a half. Yeah, that's uh, pretty which, awesome. I mean, Which is just, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, and you, you never, I never have to go to sleep during a game. I, I mean, the late baseball games here, like the, um, as, as late as a game can basically go, I can still stay up for it. For instance, that Giants-Cubs game that went 13 innings the other night, that ended 11.40 here. And that was at, what, 2.40 on the East Coast. And I'm a Cardinals fan. If the Cardinals had been in that game, I would have had a hard time staying up for it, um, let alone two teams that are not of my rooting interest. So from that standpoint, it's definitely better. I think it's, you know, you hear all the time, especially on the East Coast, which is where I normally live, that, you know, how is this good for kids? You know, there's no way kids are going to be up till 1 a.m. watching the World Series. And I guess they, that's not a problem over here on the West Coast. Um, the other side of the coin is, like you said, baseball starts at 4 more often than not. And like most people, I'm working until, <laughs> you know, 5.30 or 6. So it's often I will miss the first half of a game. Um, so I guess it comes down to would you rather miss the first half or would you rather miss the last couple innings? Um, and I think I would rather miss the first couple innings than the last ones. That's an interesting take because I was saying again off air to you that uh, during that game you mentioned the Giants and the Cubs. Um, I, I was trying to stay awake for it. I was, you know, everything I could do and – it went 13 innings as it turned out. You know, it's the sixth inning and it's 11:30 on the East Coast, and I'm like, 
I can't make it another hour and a half to watch the rest yeah. of this game. Oh, it's I, terrible. I'm falling asleep as it is. I'm like, I can't put in another hour and a half. Shoot, I woke up to use the restroom, and the game's still going on. I, mean, I actually <laughs> caught the last half inning of the game. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. But to your point, it's like, it's crazy that I had gone to sleep, woken back up, and I could catch the game. And it's, I, I've always wondered, what, you know, is it better to be a fan on the West Coast? Because, like you say, you know, is it better to catch the last few innings and have, you know, sports on all day and never miss anything? Or you do forget, you know, do you want to miss the first, you know, four innings and listen to the next two in the car on the way home from work? I, I don't know. I, I was going to say, I remember in 2011 when the Cardinals went, you know, all the way through the World Series and they played deep in each division round. Um, and when your team does that, you're really missing out on a lot of sleep in October. And it, it got so bad that I want to say like during game four, or game five, I was like, Honestly, taking naps during commercials because I was so tired. I can Watching believe it. Game four and game five of the World Series. By that point, you're just wiped if you've been following your team, not to mention the stress, but just how late you have to stay up to watch these games. Well, and It's you, almost unbearable. Well, and you can relate as, as a fellow Washingtonian or at least spending time here. The game uh, Thursday night, the Nationals and the Dodgers, longest game I think ever, longest nine-inning game ever played. That game didn't end until 12.45 this time. Right, and it's not like there were a ton of reviews um, or anything weird happened that would cause a delay. And, you know, I know it's not uh, – I hear a lot of baseball fans who are like, you know, if anything, the game's not long enough. I could watch baseball all day. You know, well, you know, that sounds nice. But, frankly, a nine-inning game should not last four and a half hours. Well, and I, I even – can understand that person's point of view, but now it's 1245 and I've got to get home. <laughs> of course. And there's no yeah, metro because the DC is completely, you know, inept, which, yeah, I, you know, I was talking about that with Eric and Brandon. How'd you get home the other night? I Ubered. Okay. I Ubered. I also set up, uh, I have a friend who's an Uber driver, so I kind of uh, tipped okay, him off. I was about to ask you, was it like 10 times the normal rate? Uh, no. Would it been if you didn't have this connection? I will say this about Uber, and uh, I'm not always their biggest fan, but they yeah. did not jack up the rates real bad on uh, uh, after the game on uh, Thursday night at all, Friday morning, as it actually turns out. But no, they were not. I heard some one and a half times kind of stuff, but I didn't hear any of the you know seven eight times stuff that you hear on New Year's Eve and stuff like that. No. Okay. And I was charged a, a basic rate, so it was. Fine. I heard the uh, the Nats ride program actually turned out really great. The hashtag. Um, so, uh, what's that? Explain that to me. I don't even know what that is. Uh, well, the I don't know who actually started it, but I know the fans did. Kind of on Twitter, just did the hashtag Nats ride, and it was, hey, I've got extra seats in the back of my car. Hey, I've got you know room. You know, it was basically a carpool to the Nats to and from, and I, I know a ton of people that that went that way. And That's awesome. And it so was it's kind really of like cool. the kiss and ride thing they have going in DC. Absolutely, or you know, yeah. I just—it was a really great idea. I mean, you know, I, it's exactly what governments are trying to encourage us to do to carpool and everything else. But it was—I know a lot of people made new friends, and um, definitely check out. I know uh, somebody's writing on the Nats, uh, one of the Nats sites about uh, about the experiences. But it was—I I know a lot of people really found it favorable, and it made it a lot easier. But. Besides the Metro being completely ridiculously terrible, there were tons of cabs out there. There were tons of Ubers and Lyfts. Okay. And so maybe I, it wasn't as bad as I thought in my head. I mean, it was a disaster, but everybody knew it was going to be a disaster. So <laughs> right. 
you they know, plan for the disaster. Right. A lot of people went to a bar afterwards and just kind of, I mean, nothing happened in D.C. on Friday morning. So at that point, so a lot of people went to the bullpen and, and had a few drinks. So they went to the Buffalo Wild Wings or, you know, several of the establishments that are close and just and, you know, waited an hour and then went home as well. So. Right. But I didn't hear. Only thing I heard was a lot of, you know, hangovers and, and tired people on Friday morning. But I didn't hear really any any complaints except for just how bad Metro was. Okay. But I would like to take one shot at Darren Ravel if I could, because he sent a tweet out trying to insinuate that everybody was leaving the game when Metro shut down at 11.30. I can tell you that no one left that game. That it didn't place, look like on television that anyone had left. That place was jammed. I yeah, mean, it I just like know it. I was moving around, and I know a lot of people like myself were too nervous to sit in their seat. So I kept just walking the park and finding, you know, all right, we got to strike out. I got to stand here. Oh no, they got a hit. Now I got to move. You know, it was a lot of that. But uh... what a lot of people also forget about playoff baseball, especially a game that lasts four and a half hours, is that often when it goes to a commercial break, or if you're at the game when an inning ends, people make a mad rush to the bathroom. Correct. And so then the lines are huge. And then so when the mm-hmm. cameras come back, not everyone's back to their seats yet. Yeah, it's three minutes between innings, by the way, which is ridiculous. Because they have the little clock going. It's it's absolutely absurd. Yeah. But yeah, the bathroom lines were absolutely out of control. You're exactly right. And it was right at the end of, you know, half innings. But uh, And the other thing, you know, people don't talk about unless you've been to Nats Park is in a lot of places, it's better to wander that park to actually than to actually sit in your seat. That is true because the concourse, you can see the game from everywhere. Yes. And you can get some pretty good angles. Now, it was pretty crowded the other night, so you can't as easily just peer over people's shoulders, you know, behind them. But it was, it's a better park for walking and and viewing than if you're in the upper 400 level, you might as well just walk the park. That reminds me, have you ever been to Philadelphia's ballpark? Yes. Citizens Bank? That's a great ballpark. It really is. It's one of my favorites. And I don't think people talk about it enough because everybody doesn't like Philadelphia fans. But no, well, it doesn't. You know, it's not like in a little quaint neighborhood and, and there's nothing about the exterior that would stick out. Like, uh, I don't think I could I don't think I'd do a very good job like picking it out of a lineup from the outside. But, but on the inside, everywhere is a great place to be inside that stadium. You can see the game from while you're standing in line to get a beer, you know. And I'll even I, I would even argue your point about the exterior. Just they I like the fact that they have all three of their big stadiums in one place and they have that huge Comcast, I think it's center or whatever it is in the middle where it's a bunch of bars and a bunch of places where you can get a sandwich or sparrows or, you know, places like that. I I think that's a really neat idea. It's not pretty on the outside. You know, it's not uh Camden Yards or some of the or Wrigley or anything like that, but it is pretty cool to just be able to go you know, if you don't want to make your own tailgate, you can just go show up and get a beer and meet people there. Sure. So, but to your point, yeah, Citizens Bank is, I think it's one of the more underrated parks in, in the in the league, frankly. I think it's fantastic. Definitely. Particularly in the upper, you can get a really nice seat in the upper levels and, and the views are pretty good. I, I went to a Cardinals-Phillies game there last year and it was, it was the, uh, it was like the weekend after the Cardinals hacking scandal broke so the philly fans were just really in high gear in terms of you know letting us have it um in that regard but i just i could not have had a better time and i was so pleasantly surprised how nice that stadium is yeah that's very very true um let's talk a little bit about uh the game that i mentioned a little bit the uh nationals and the dodgers thursday night we're recording this 
uh, Saturday morning, as I guess we've already said. Uh, I was there, so maybe I'm a little close to it. Uh, Alex, what were your thoughts on the game? Uh, cool game. Um, I mean, I think that's easy I, to say. It was a fantastic baseball game, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I thought, yeah, I, I think um, when the Dodgers put up the four runs in the top of the seventh, it really seemed like, uh, okay, this is this is it. And then, um, you know, Nats come up in the bottom half and, and hit that hit the two run shot to also make it a game again. I really thought when they left the runners on first and third that at least for me I was like, you know, they're really going to regret not not tying this game up. And um you know, that that ended up being the final score. But it just from a drama standpoint with everything that was going on with, you know, Kersh- when I first heard mention that Kershaw was going to the bullpen, I thought it was I, I didn't think that was a real thing. I didn't think that was possible. And then he came in and he pitched well. Um, and But I, I thought what was really impressive was Jansen. He threw, what, like 52 pitches, which I don't think he ever does that. Yeah, and he was dead on fumes the last two or three batters and was still just, you know, he was out there gutting it out to that degree. Yeah. What was, from your standpoint, I mean, how deflated? I can't imagine they were any more, they were more deflated than after the Cosmic game, but was the crowd just, it was how do I want to say this? It was a lot of kind of just stunned silence and a little bit it was not like twenty twelve. Twenty twelve was just the ultimate gut punch. I mean you really felt yeah. like you got sucker punched and knocked out. I mean, you were up six nothing at one point and then they come back and get you. Uh, that one's still the hardest one for me. Uh, this one this year was tough, but I thought that the better team won, or at least the healthier team won. And, yeah. and I thought Dave Roberts just did a, a masterful job managing in game five and that's not to say that dusty did a poor job and and maybe we'll get into that because i think dusty's catching a lot of flack for maybe unnecessarily but i thought dave roberts did a fantastic job of you know he he stacked the lineup with lefties to begin the game against scherzer who's not as good against lefties and then you know once the bullpen came in he had kendrick he had puig he had ruiz and he used ruiz at a good time i mean that bench is fantastic and i thought like you said going to jansen at that point and saying, hey, you know, this this could be the point where we're losing the game. And, you know, I, I thought he pulled Urias at the right time. I thought he pulled his, um, his I thought he pulled Hill at the right time. So I just, I, I really thought he just did a masterful job of trying to, you know, win the game. And I, I think they've got a really good roster as well. Yeah, it, it was a, it was a cool game to watch that Justin Turner, I mean, Harold Reynolds, uh, wouldn't stop talking about it, but I thought for good reason that Justin Turner at bat. I think it was it. Is that who I'm thinking of? Yes, that was a thirteen he had like or fourteen, a 12, pitch 13 pitch at bat against and Scherzer, sure. which you know didn't amount to much at the time, but sure seemed to have yeah. an effect as the game went on. It really did because that jumped his pitch count up into the sixties in the fourth inning, and I remember thinking that that was a really important at bat. I think he walked as it turned out, or he got on base. But to your point, that really jumped up his pitch count and. But, you know, the result is now we're sitting in the top of the seventh and he's at 98 pitches and he gives up that first pitch bomb to, to Jacques Peterson and he's out of the game. Whereas if he doesn't have that, he might have a whole nother inning, you know, in the tank. So, yeah, you know, it, once again, it's, that, it's so many things like that. But uh, I, I, I thought the healthier team won anyways. And I, I thought it was gutsy to bring in Kershaw. I didn't necessarily fear him. He hadn't been that great in the series and he was coming off short rest and everything else. I mean, I, 
I would have rather seen Jensen stay in the game just because he was so, so on fumes, but I, I didn't exactly fear Kershaw coming into the game at that point either. I thought, you know, and the truth is the Nats had so many chances. I mean, Worth had a couple of opportunities with men on third, less than two outs, did a fly ball to score a run. You know, we had first and second, and Murphy was at the plate. I mean, our MVP this season, and he pops out. I mean, you know, we had our opportunities to tie the game and, and to take the lead, so. Help me out. When Worth got nailed at home, was that with two outs or one out? Two outs. Okay, thank you. I, we, I, we were trying to debate this the other night, and we weren't sure. And when someone told me it might have been with just one out, because I had actually stepped – out of the TV and was like doing something in my kitchen at the time. And if that happened with one out, that would have been inexcusable. But it's I sort of get it now with two outs because that was so bad. See, it was so bad that a lot of us in the seats were speculating that he ran through a stop sign. That's and how that turned out not to be the case. Correct, exactly right. Yeah. But that's how bad it was. We all were saying like, you know, what the hell, Worth? Why are you running through a stop sign? You know, keep your emotions in check. A lot of that kind of stuff. And then we were like. Wow, wait a minute. No, he was sent, and he was out by 55 feet. Tell me the name of your third base coach again. Uh, Bob, not Sendley, but Henley. Okay. That's, <laughs> and he so, is known to be really aggressive, but... Well, th- well but that's what I was about to say. Like, I think third base coach is one of those positions where every single fan in baseball thinks their third base coach is bad. And oh, sends yeah, 100%. Them to, you know, because Just like you think you're After bullpen- this happened... Every Cardinals fan on Twitter was like, Bob Henley is now applying to be the next Cardinals third base coach. Just like every because, te- yeah, every team's got a terrible bullpen and every team's got a ter- yeah. terrible third base coach. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, a third base coach, I'm not going to sit here and give you a laundry list of everything they do because, frankly, I don't know. But all they're judged on is that one play. Right, 100%. And, yeah. And really, all they're judged on is the one time they screw up, honestly. Because every time the guy scores, oh, well, he's supposed to score. You should send him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, you only notice the times where the guy screws up, like, you know, Thursday <laughs> night. I mean, so. Basically, I can't imagine a more thankless job than uh, third base coach. That's, a, that's great. If somebody wants to tweet or write in, what is a more thankless job than the third base coach? Because it's got to be somebody will come up with something good, but it's up there. I will say, Jose Okendo, he, he actually was a, a pretty popular third base coach. He was out this year um, for health reasons. But even him, people complained all the time about him sending runners too often. And I think a lot of his popularity is just because he's kind of a, um, like I don't a, know if legend's the right like word, a but he's hero, right? so or a loved hero? by the Cardinals community. Yeah, yeah I, that's a good point. I hope somebody comes up with a better example of somebody that's more underappreciated. But, I mean, at least teachers get a present at Christmas. I mean, goodness, I mean, it's like... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine who's more underappreciated in, in that kind of a – so I hope somebody c- chimes in. So, Anyways, uh, maybe that's a good transition, and maybe we should uh, talk a little bit about the other series as well. Um, and Anything you want to chime in on about the, uh, the Cubs and uh, the Giants series? Well, I, I mean, I think we both agree the Cubs are easily the better team. No question. And, but, it, man, if the Giants win that game and it goes five with Cueto on the mound, that would have been a really interesting game. And uh, all I, the pressure starts to get – I mean, the Cubs haven't had any pressure yet. They really haven't all season. They haven't had it in the playoffs yet. I mean, 
there's a lot of years of pressure on them, and I, I'm that's I, I think that's who can beat the Cubs at this point themselves. I'm I'm really curious to to watch this next round. I, I you know, nothing would surprise me because it's the playoffs. The Cubs could just steamroll through everyone like that lineup is capable of doing. But I don't know. It, it was a it was a good series for for those last two games, no doubt. Um, as a Cardinals fan, there was a part of me that wanted to see the Cubs lose that series. Oh, of course, but sure. this is so much better, Cubs Giant, Cubs Dodgers than I think than a Giants Dodgers series would have been. And frankly, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I'm I'm curious to see how. You know, Cubs team wins 103 games. I, I can't think that I, you can, you might know the answer to this, but when was the last time a team won 100 plus games and went on to win the World Series? So that's going to be a fun thing to watch, see if the Cubs can do that. Maybe one of those Yankee teams in the mid 90s? Maybe. Yeah, like that 98 Yankees team. Yeah. Maybe? That would be my best guess. I mean, that, we're totally off the top of our head, but yeah, that would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, normally the best team or the team with the best regular season record does not win. Right. So. Oh yeah, and I know that all too well. And uh, yeah, good point. Salt in the wound. Sorry. So <laughs> that's okay. That's yeah. that's fine. I mean, that's that's one of the only. That's kind of the bummer of the playoffs now is that the regular season. You know the way the regular season is set up, it really is set up to. To work out the way it did in the old days, where just two teams emerged to meet in the World Series, because the regular season should sort everything out that needs to be sorted out. But, you know, that's not the way it is, and it's not going to ever be like that again, and that's fine because the playoffs are still fun and exciting, and it's now more of a crapshoot, which is kind of fun in and of itself. Which is a kind of a perfect segue to talk about the Toronto and Texas series. You know, Texas is such a great team. They get the one seed, I guess. Toronto wins the play-in game, you know, in uh, you know rather somewhat dramatic fashion, then come in and just basically beat the tar out of the, the Texas in three games. I mean, it was the hotter team won, but I, I was really surprised that that wasn't a better series. Someone told me that at the con- conclusion of that series, if you had added up the run differential and added it to the regular season, the Rangers would have ended up with a negative run differential. Well, they were, Do you know if that's true? I know that they were plus only one or two heading into this, uh, the playoffs. I mean, okay, it's, so it's definitely true. Yeah, and I, I know they had that crazy record in one-run games. I frankly just wasn't able to watch a lot of that series um, because it was on um, kind of what we were talking about earlier. Uh, um, it, because of West Coast, it was on a lot during the, you know, during the day, so I didn't even see much of it. I was, I was bummed. I wanted to see Carlos Beltran, Beltre, those guys kind of get, get a better uh, – well, I don't know. And I'd even, like to see those guys get and, to the series or something. And to even build off your point – so many of the games were four, five, six, nothing before you could blink. Yeah. Why bother watching the game? You know, go find something else to do or turn on the other game that's, you know, on the other channel. I mean, it was, it was real. I mean, I know Toronto made a, a pardon me, uh, Texas made a couple of comebacks and so forth. But, I mean, really that series was, you know, pretty, un, you know, not even close, really. So... That that just caught me by surprise. Any and uh, the other one we should talk about Cleveland and Boston. Once again, I, I was surprised. I thought Boston would, particularly with David Ortiz and everything that's going on with them, I thought they were a little bit better team. And man, the Cleveland just kind of stepped on their neck and whooped them. 
Yeah, I was happy to see that. I uh, me too. I'm definitely if I could hitch my wagon to someone right now, it's definitely Cleveland in terms of who I want to win. Um, but I was surprised too. I, I, I and I, I say that, and I have no basis for saying that. I watch so little of the American League, uh, not because I'm not interested, just because. At, you know, when you spend all your time watching one team, you don't really have a ton of time to watch other games. At least I don't. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I just assumed I maybe my bias going in that Boston was going to win. But I, I thought Cleveland looked great, and they obviously looked great last night against Toronto. Kluber looked pitched what up. Did he get, how, how many innings did he go last night, do you know? Goodness, he went. Uh, I know Miller came in relatively early, but still, he had to have gone Gosh, six or seven. Yeah, I love the way they use Andrew Miller. I do I'm too. so jealous. I want the Cardinals, and I wrote about this. But I want the Cardinals to use um, their best reliever that way. Well, and, and maybe that's a good uh, kind of uh, off-script idea. Do you think we're going to see more of this going forward? I don't. It, certainly during the playoffs. I, I think the regular season. I don't think we're going to see closers coming in in the sixth inning in May, but. Do you think well, we're going to continue seeing this? I think we could if the team who wins the World Series wins it by using their closer this way, or that's like at least a big factor in why they, in the appearance as to why they won. Like if you think of the Royals last year, you know the Royals won the World Series. They had a lockdown bullpen in seven, eighth, and ninth inning, and then you see in the off season teams trying to replicate that whether. Yeah. You know, whether that makes sense or not, because there's so many ways to win a World Series. You know, there's no like one style of play that's going to win the World Series every year. But this, to me, makes so much sense and is such so advantageous to any team that I think you'd be silly not to replicate it. I know there's more issues involved in terms of like, well, closers want to close because you get those save numbers and that's good for contract negotiations. Or, you know, maybe it's not as easy as it sounds because. You know, you still have to get a guy warmed up on moments notice, and then by the time you bring him in, you know, in the seventh inning, the damage could already be done. And then you, you face that thing of, you know, kind of what Matt Williams did, where always warming guys up and never bringing him in. So you, if you warm a guy up, you really need to bring him in regardless. Um, but man, it, it it seems so obvious that if I was a manager, I would use my best closer in in this fashion. I, so I hope it I hope it does catch on, but it'll be really interesting to see. I, I think this is the new frontier, and, and I think Colorado oh. was kind of on the precipice of this a couple of years ago. But I've okay. been thinking about this a lot, and I think we're going to start seeing four man starting rotations, eight to nine man bullpens, and you have like one or two long relievers that are basically just veterans that you don't care about, and they soak right. up the complete crap innings. And, and sorry if you need to edit that, but. They soak up the innings that are you're down eight to two. It doesn't matter. And then I think the rest of your bullpen is just matchup guys. You've got three lefties that are lefty on lefty kind of guys. You've got a couple of righty on righty specialists and a closer. And that's how you attack these teams is, all right, we can't afford $25 million starters, but we can afford a $5 million loogie and we can afford to get a righty who can get righties. And I think that's the, the way maybe mid-market teams, if not, big market teams are going to start combating this is developing hard throwing relievers who can go, you know, three, four batters and are really good on one sided of, you know, one sided hitters. And that's the way you match it up. 
You know what's funny about this is, of all people, um, Bob Costas, I remember this in like the late 90s or early 2000s when he used to do the World Series. It was when the Yankees were in it. During a pregame, he was actually pontificating on why managers don't use their relievers this way. Um, I think it had to do with Mariano Rivera. And, you know, I'm not insulting Bob. There's nothing wrong with Bob Costas, but no one's going to confuse him with, like, Joe Sheehan or, you know, someone who, who kind of thinks about baseball in a very analytical way. Or Ben Lindbergh, the godfather, um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this idea has been around. Speaking of Ben Lindbergh, he wrote a great piece on Andrew Miller um, and this very subject on, in The Ringer in early September, which everyone should read. Um, but yeah, so this idea has been around for a while because it's so, it seems so on its face to be such a common sense move. Um, so I would love it if teams started doing this, but we'll see. Yeah, if, I'll tell you this. If they ever remove the save statistic, this would happen in a heartbeat because now you don't have those relievers getting paid oh, for totally, saves. Yeah. If they got rid of the save statistic, this, this happens the next day. Because relievers then just straight up get paid for performance rather than that tired save stat and everything. It, the entire usage of bullpen changes if they get rid of that stat. And I think we're also in an era where there are so many smart people in front offices now that they can weed out a, a guy who might have like 35 to 40 saves but really isn't that great of a pitcher compared to someone else. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're willing to pay for a guy they know is a great pitcher. Yeah, we've, Regardless of, of those stats. I don't think... Billy Bean can do that same strategy with the Jason Isringhausens and some of those guys where he would just build them up with saves and then deal them the next year, calling them a proven closer. Although Isringhausen is not the perfect example, but he did that three or four or five times. I, I don't think you can fool people or hoodwink people with that move anymore. Right. So, uh, all right, let's talk a little bit. Uh, I know we're already one game into the Cleveland series as we're talking about this. Uh, Cleveland won 2 nothing, I guess, last night. Really good game. I mean, goodness, really. Estrada for Toronto threw one bad pitch to Lindor. And really and truly, he and Kluber were just outstanding. Yeah. So where, I, where's your head on I don't have much to add. Yeah, where's your head? I, I, go ahead, sorry. Where's your head in the ALCS? Where are you thinking? I think Toronto. I think Toronto's the better team. Um, but again, if you're coming to me on like expertise on picking the American League, you, you, you've definitely come to the wrong place. But uh, yeah, I, I think Toronto, Toronto's lineup scares the crap out of me. And that would be the team I would think would be the most interesting to, to face off against the Cubs, if you say the Cubs advance. But, you know, maybe I'm this whole time been underestimating Cleveland. Um, I love the fact that Lindor has a chance to be on a national stage doing uh, what he does. Uh, that's so that's smile. exciting. I, I, oh, I hope Cleveland smile. wins, but I still think Toronto will win. And, and let me build off the word you just said. Is it, uh, just I've been, you know, I, I don't think I've been giving Cleveland the credit all year that I should have been. I mean, you know, Brantley was hurt, so I kind of discounted their offense so much because I think Brantley's one of the great players in the game no one talks about. They've lost uh, Carrasco and the other starter that I'm blanking on. I just I keep discounting this team, and maybe it's because, you know, the, of that, but, you know, they've got the big bullpen like we were just talking about with Shaw and with Miller and with Allen. You know, they can mm -hmm. shorten these games, and they've got Kluber and a couple of other pitchers. You know, Tomlin and Bauer, I'm not the biggest fan of those guys, but if they can get five innings out of their guys, 
I think I've just been underestimating Cleveland all year. I mean, they did win 93 or 94 games. Speaking of it, did I read this correctly? Did Trevor Bauer hurt himself messing with a drone? Yes, he was fixing his drone, and he cut uh, the side of his hand, his non-pitching hand. And okay. They're, and they're worried uh, that, I guess, with all the ointments and the and the stuff that you've got to put on an open – I mean, I heard he got 10 stitches. I mean, it was a legitimate uh, cut, like not – you know, a little flesh wound. And so I heard, well, you know, they can't put a glove on his hand until it's healed enough. And I think that's the problem. Here's a, my question. Why do people have their own drones? Well, what do you do with it? I'll say this much. I'm not surprised that Trevor Bauer, if there's one pitcher and, or player in baseball that has a drone, he would probably True. be my number one, number one seed. But that's, I don't know. That's a good point. I mean, Trevor Bauer might be using it to study his pitching mechanics from 150 feet in the air. I mean, he's crazy, and, a, and I, I mean, don't are, mean that in a bad way. He's you Are know. these things just like tantamount to like a radio airplane that you can just fly around in your backyard and have fun? Or I, 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 I don't know. I, I would ask you. I, I mean, this, okay. is, this is way over my pay range. I mean, if I had that kind of dough, I would not be spending it on a drone. I would be spending it on a big party or something, But it would, or, you know. A car. I'm not spending it on something to tool around on. But I don't. I don't know what the. I don't know why he has a drone. That was, you know, why didn't so, a reporter ask that question? Why do you have a drone in the first place? Like, you know. This is the new way to get injured if you don't want to tell the real way. Like it always seemed like baseball player would like slip in the shower and then like you know yeah that was code um, for i was hammered and fell into my door yeah, <laughs> yeah right. exactly so i wonder if you know messing around with my drone is the new i was in the bad part of town <laughs> doing yeah. something i shouldn't have been doing and uh got hurt an homage to uh rob mains uh flu-like symptoms is a nice way of saying hungover yeah <laughs> <laughs> right right so uh who are you taking in the series you taking cleveland it sounds like I want Cleveland to win. I really my uh, my dad grew up in Akron. He's a big Indians fan, so um, for his sake, I really want Cleveland to win. Um, but I, I still think Toronto. If I had to put a bet down, I'd probably bet on Toronto. Yeah, I would too. Although that one nothing lead, unfortunately, we know it. Talking about this now, but yeah, that one nothing lead kind of sways me. But I would have picked Toronto to begin the series in six. Now I think I might sway to uh, Toronto in seven. Okay. So let's talk. Uh, let's look at the NL now quickly as well. We got Game One today or tonight. Uh, Dodgers Cubs. Uh, the Dodgers. We've talked about them a little bit earlier with the Nats, but uh, come into this series certainly not as rested. I don't know. I think Kershaw I heard is going to go in Game Two. Certainly not fully rested. I guess they're going to go with Maeda in Game One. Okay. Uh, Lester in Game One. I've heard for the Cubs. Uh, just what are your thoughts on this series? I, I think the Cubs will win. I think they're the best, easily the best team in baseball, and they have the advantage of having Lester. You know, their rotation is set up just like they want it to be, where the Dodgers don't have that advantage. So I, I think the obvious pick is the Cubs. The Lester looked really good in his outing against the, the Giants. You know, the Cubs lineup just seems to never end. I think they are just like a ball rolling downhill and nothing's going to stop it. And I'm doing my best to jinx them as best as possible. I mean, how crazy is that the Kyle Schwarber is not in this lineup and this lineup is this good? I know. I I, I was thinking about that the other day when they showed him in the dugout. Like, 
And not only that, but how bad Jason Hayward was. Imagine if Jason Hayward had the season he had last year at the plate that he had, you know, for this year for the Cubs. Like they, they he was their lone weakness. I felt like on on the offensive side of the ball. I'm sure a more knowledgeable Cubs fan could speak up and say and point to someone else as well. But certainly, and they were he, running him in that two hole for most of the season. Absolutely, yeah, certainly longer than they should have. Um, and he was just terrible. Um, it gives me, you know, I don't want anyone to be terrible. It gives me a little satisfaction that the Cardinals didn't pay for, you know, at least one year of that. Who knows how the rest of the contract will turn out. But, yeah, they, that's how good the Cubs are. They can withstand things like that. And so I, I don't see any reason to pick against them right now. Yeah, the only, and I think I said it earlier, but I, I think the Cubs are the only team that can beat the Cubs right now. I, I think that if all of a sudden you get to a game five, game six, game seven, that pressure might start to to get to them. They haven't really faced any pressure this year. You know, last year they were the young upstarts. Nobody expected anything from them. Now they're expected to win it. I, I think the pressure could get to them, and that's about the only way I can see them losing. Yeah, I'm. I could see that as well. I also. I don't think Madden is as great of a manager in games like this as he gets credit for. No, no. I mean, he, I, I agree with that. I think, and I don't want to take any too much away from Madden, but I do think at certain times we build him up bigger than he probably is. Well, it, it seems like if there's one pitcher to use to, to use in a certain way, like, like the Indians use Miller, I, I think Araldus Chapman is that guy. Now, I think Chapman has made murmurs in the past that he – he likes the ball at the end of the game, and if that's what he insists on, then you can't really do anything about that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, to your point, I would rather have Francona in a playoff game as my manager than Joe Madden. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, he's done it, for goodness sake. So Yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to put you on the spot. Prediction for the NLCS. Cubs in five. Yeah, that was going to be my number. I'll take the Cubs in six to be different, but I think that's kind of what it's going to be. I just – I don't know. I, I like the Dodgers team. I just don't see them hot enough right now to get it done. And having to expend so much in game five the other night, I mean, Jansen going 55 pitches and everything else. I just, like I said to you about the Nats, I just, I think the healthier team, the Cubs it, it, are in a better situation. Yeah. That's so. my thoughts. Exactly. So, uh, I guess I don't know. I don't probably won't have you on before we uh, get to the World Series. So uh, how about a World Series prediction? Cubs over Blue Jays in five. I'm sticking with that number five. Yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Cubs in seven, and I don't. Mm. I feel no confidence in that pick. Well, I'll tell you one thing that gives me pleasure is that. In the, in the All-Star game, Oledmus Diaz um, um, came up with a chance to kind of win the game. And uh, I'm trying to remember exactly how it played out. But he basically didn't get the hit that could have swayed the game, that could have helped the National League win, which, which uh, would have given the National League home field. So if the Cubs lose the World Series and having home field would have absolutely helped them, then I get satisfaction knowing the Cardinals had a hand in it. That's pretty cool. Plus, Diaz was yeah. the star of uh, this week's episode of Pitch, so you got that going for you as well. You're kidding. What? I, I haven't been watching that show. How He was in uh, the show? He was definitely mentioned this week, absolutely. And supposedly, like, some of the characters are kind of based loosely off him. There's a new Cuban import that's kind of, I mean, they say it's about Mancata and Diaz and a couple of other guys kind of rolled into one. But 
Show's really good, by the way. You should check it out on demand. I have heard it's good. I need to... It's surprisingly good, is the way I'll yeah, say it. Like, I was really I've nervous. I, I, I've, I've said it before that I kind of have a version of shows that are on network TV, but I've heard so many good things about this one that I might take an exception. Um, the only... I don't like... They're trying... The dramedy side of it, I don't love, but when they actually do the baseball stuff, it's fantastic. I mean, okay. it's very realistic. You know, they treat the the female player, Jenny kind of like you would expect a female to be treated in a locker room. I mean, it, it's it's pretty realistic, I think. It, certainly, at least from the baseball side. I mean, when you're trying to, you know, show old, you know, how her dad was overbearing and her mom is this and all that, you know, it gets a little, you know, too daytime soap opera-ish for me. But I highly recommend the show. To, certainly anybody that's listening to this, it's, it's definitely a must-listen or a must-watch. Okay, I'll definitely check it out. So, uh, one last thing before we get out of here, um, I, I kind of want to try a new segment here on the Banish to the Pen podcast. Um, I'm going to call it "Say Yes to Pepper." It probably will change its name many times because that name is not great. But uh, for now, it's just uh, the idea behind it is kind of what is sticking in your craw, either baseball or otherwise. So, um, I guess Alex, you're mm. the guest. Let me uh, let me start with you. What is uh, kind of what is sticking in either your baseball or your proverbial crawl? Hmm, that's a good question. This has always kind of been a complaint of mine, um, and this is what I think I'm going to go with. But if you think about Bryce Harper's uh, "Make Baseball Fun Again" campaign, which uh, I'm on board with, I think is awesome. I wish part of that extended to how much, and it's usually the analytical community, um, how much we freak out when someone online uses wrong stats or says something that's just like a bad opinion about baseball and how everyone just like heaps scorn on that person. And I think Bob Ryan, you know, the Boston Globe said something silly this week about war and everyone about the war statistic and everyone kind of like started tweeting mean things at him. Um, my point is I would be perfectly fine if part of make baseball fun again also included not freaking out when someone has a bad opinion about something as not important as baseball. Like this should be fun. If someone, if, if someone is, using stats I don't like or someone has opinions I don't like, then that's fine. I, it doesn't bother me or affect me at all. I, now, you know, maybe if this is a very influential writer, then that's, that's a different story, I guess. But I don't know. I think the baseball community as a whole, meaning like mostly the Twitter community, could have just a little bit more patience with each other. Well, and, and even a half step to your point uh, – and I'll include myself, we're sabermetricians or numbers, baseball guys, whatever. We take ourselves way too seriously oftentimes. You know, this is the development, but we're all just trying to understand the game better and what's going on in the field. And like you say, when somebody says something that we don't care for, they just get crushed. And it's rather than just, you know, not taking ourselves so seriously, I don't know why we get so up in arms about things like this. Yeah, and like uh, especially the people that we know – are going to be saying these things. So like, 
But I, I'll use I'll use Harold Reynolds as an example. And that's per, um, and that's so good because you took the words out of my mouth. Because go for it, please. Yes. Well, Harold would not be my first choice as as an announcer, and that's fine. But the people who just go crazy every time he says something they disagree with that that they happen to disagree with, I. You know, what do they want? Like how there's still a baseball game on television that you can watch on mute if you have to or whatnot. Like if if having Harold Reynolds there is really killing the experience for you, then I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, because, yeah, he's I don't think he's the greatest announcer in the world, but I don't think he's. In fact, I would say he's not that great, but for I think he's actually better than his reputation is on baseball Twitter. See, can I actually now I'm going to talk out of the other side of my mouth here, but I cannot stand okay. Harold Reynolds. And and <laughs> no. I, I wish okay, he was. See, I get your point completely. And, and I and I'm now going to talk out of the other side of my mouth. But he is so bad. He is actually frustrating to me. <laughs> OK, but so, that's, so I'm completely so the, contradicting my point, myself though. in two minutes. So, yes, please. My point is no one's you're absolutely allowed to to not be able to stand Harold Reynolds. But if every single time he says something that is wrong, everyone's like just losing their collective minds, then like just take a step back and realize this is just baseball. This is not like world decisions are not being decided here. I agree with you. Now out of the other side of my mouth, he drives me crazy. He says everything wrong. God, his draft coverage is just deplorable. (laughs) Okay, oh. so I, I, I definitely don't read his draft coverage, oh, when nor he starts... do I have much exposure to him beyond like when he's doing a game. Oh, it's painful. Um, if, if it, if and it's he, a... he doesn't seem to prepare all that well, I will say that. Oh, it's, it's just he unbelievable. Often doesn't... And he uses the ultimate in just, just absolute throwaway comments. If it's a white player who plays the middle infield, he's a grinder for sure. I mean, you know, he's never seen the guy, but he's scrappy. You know, it's just... If somebody's an outfielder and lanky, oh, he's toolsy and he's projectable. I mean, it's just, it's so bad. And he's never seen, uh-huh. oh, he just, Harold Reynolds is the one guy that gets in my craw. But I agree. It, your point is very well taken. I do think that, particularly Twitter, I think Twitter is kind of this loud, you know, vocal minority type of thing. But we do take ourselves entirely too seriously. So I will say this about Harold. Um, and you were at the game, so you uh, you missed it. But during the balk, the Thank what you. what people were saying should have been a balk. And I, I I will freely admit, I, it's come to the point where I'm not even sure I even know what a balk is anymore, or, or if I even ever did, based on how how it gets called in games. See, Alex, I thought he did a, yeah. actually a pretty good job laying it out there let me interrupt you if i can because this was, was going to be was going nuts yeah I mean, this was my uh you know say yes to pepper was going to be urias's uh balk pickoff move uh thursday night and just in general uh i'm one of those fans at a game where i rarely i'm very quiet you know i just like to watch the game i'm one of those fans i had an usher tell me to sit down the other night i was losing it so badly with urias and the balk <laughs> uh he balked three times when bryce harper was on base the first time he threw over, it was a complete balk. He had all of his body weight going to home, and then he threw it to the side. The next pitch, he fakes to first and then realizes he hasn't stepped off, 
then steps off first and isn't called for a balk. Go back and watch. He actually has a mental, like, you know, brain fart and then steps off. And then the next pit, the next try, he then picks him off after he goes completely home and then dives to first. Uh, it was, I was screaming out of my seat. It was the most egregious balk move I've ever seen. And then somebody on Twitter is like, oh, yeah, he leads the league in pickoffs. I'm like, oh, I wonder why. I've never <laughs> seen a move that's more egregious than this. I mean, it's it's the worst balk move I've ever seen. We need to clean this ruling up. It's I agree with mm. you. There's really no precise ruling. I mean, because it's somewhere in there. It's an attempt to deceive the runner. Well, of course, you're trying to deceive the runner. You're trying to pick him off. I mean, it, you know, that can't work as a definition. So it seems like it doesn't get called as the spirit of the rule intended it to be called anymore. Well, that's 100% true. And when you've got, you know, left-handed pitchers that can lift their leg up and then decide when they go and when not, I mean, it, it's very random. And maybe we just get rid of the rule altogether and just say, hey, you, could, you know, a balk is not a balk. You know, we just, there's no Do whatever rule. you want. Right. But I don't know. I thought that was so egregious the other night. And sure, I'm a Nats fan, and sure, it was a big play. And, and you know, I'll put those caveats forward but i mean you can't do something like that or else the runners just got to stand on the bag if you can literally you know be in the process of throwing the ball to home and then go to first well you know where are we at with trying to you know steal bases and actually i mean where is the line where it's too far let me ask you this stipulating that it was indeed a balk or each time it was a balk how much fault do you lay on Harper for still lunging that far off the bag and not being ready for it? And again, I'm still operating under the assumption that none of the blame should be on Harper because it was a balk. But still, 100, 100% you can't, to your point, you can't get picked off in that play, particularly if you're not stealing a base. And Harper's hurting, so yeah. he's not stealing there, I don't think. So, Although I do think he stole a base in the series now that I, I – I could take that back but nonetheless he's not stealing in that situation you're down i think they were up one or whatever it was you're not stealing a base there so uh you know it's the same old thing it's like you know you can blame everybody else but at the end of the day you were the one that was picked off so whose fault is it yours and you know? and picked off after two close plays at first when he tried to pick him off if i recall yeah i mean it was like the, he should have been on notice if no i think there were two outs and so maybe the goal was to get in a scoring position, you know, to try to salvage a, a run that inning or something like that. Who knows? But at least who, get was into worth, who was up? Worth was up, right? And it would have been the middle of the order. It would have been the three, four hitter. So I understand that yeah. point. Maybe they were trying, and it worked out that okay, you get picked off, you know, pick, you know, thrown out, what have you. Then you've got three, four, five hitters up in the next inning. That that could have contributed to it. Now that you say that, that's a good point. That said. You can't get picked off. I mean, going back to what we were saying, you know, you just you can't yeah. you can't do anything in a playoff game in a game five. You know, they made two huge base running errors. That was one, and the worth send what you can't you can't make those errors and mm-hmm. expect to win. You know, against a really good team. So, uh, before I let you go, how are your Cardinals go? What are your Cardinals going to do this off season? Uh I have no idea. They they need to fix center field. Um, I floated the idea of that even though he's old, that they should sign, well, not old, but he's going to be 31 soon, that they should maybe sign Dexter Fowler, and everyone seemed to hate that idea. Um, but I like it, uh, because there just doesn't seem to be a ton of help on the 
center field market unless they're going to make a, a really good trade or something. But yeah, they need to fix center field. They need some stability at that position. Um, I'm curious what they're going to do with the rotation if they're going to just, you know, because they're going to have Lance Lynn coming back. So if they're just going to lay low and let it shake out, um, they could do that. But the but the pitching was so underwhelming last year. I could see them wanting to make an improvement there somehow. Uh, the big question is also whether they're going to extend a qualifying offer to Brandon Moss or not. It seemed like a no-brainer, but then the last month and a half of the season, he was so bad that I'm not, I'm not really sure they're going to do that. So and we'll see. 17-2 is a lot for Brandon Moss. Oh, my gosh, yeah. So I, that number, what, just came out the other day, right? Yeah, just this week, certainly, yeah. It is, right? And so, yeah, I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, they need to do something to make them a bit more sound team on the base paths and also fielding. They were just so frustrating to watch fielding and running. So and um, final, I should probably shut up because I'm no. going to talk for another hour. But Final question I have for you is what are the odds that Rosenthal gets dealt? Because that's been something I've been thinking about for the Nationals. So I actually wish they had traded him before last offseason. I mean, during last offseason um, when he, you know, he's a reliever and kind of at, I think they would have been selling high at this point. Now they might be selling low. Yeah, um, he feels with, like a great buy low candidate to me this offseason. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. Um, so if, um, say they use Sing Juan O the same way Indians use Andrew Miller which is my dream. If Rosenthal is back up there throwing bullets, that would really help. That would really be fun to watch them to be able to use that tandem to kind of shut down the late innings. Um, but that's a big if, you know, I think Rosenthal, just his command has been so bad, um, you know, through most of his career with the Cardinals that I, I just really don't know what to expect from him. I think he'll still be a Cardinal next year, but who knows? Yeah. I, I... I'm going to take the other hand. I think he gets dealt. I just with mm. all the teams that need closers this offseason, I think some team buys low on him. And maybe that's well, the way you guys fix center field. Maybe. My my grasp of the trade I've always said I would be the worst GM and my grasp of the trade market and free agent market is always <laughs> seems to be so bad that if anyone's listening, definitely take Ryan's side over mine on this one. Well, and I was going to say, on the flip side, I don't know the Cardinals uh, nearly to the degree that you do. So I was going to say, listen to Alex, not me. So, <laughs> But like I say, I, uh, I can see a scenario where teams don't want to pay up for a cert- to, uh, to bring in Chapman or, or Jansen. And maybe they look at Melanson or Melanson. They look at Rosenthal and say, hey, you know, maybe he, if you believe in it, you know, his salary is going to be about half what the other guys are going to make. Maybe he's the same, you know bounce that's a good point that's a really good point and i think that's what a smart team would do because i think you're crazy to pay you know some of the prices we see for relievers these days but unless you're going to use them like we've seen them in the playoffs it certainly seems crazy but yeah we could go down that rabbit hole again but uh well alex i uh i think we've pretty much covered it all man uh i think this might be a good time to wrap up and uh say our goodbyes so uh how about say goodbye to the internet my friend yeah, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Um, yeah, and thank you for coming if, on early on the West Coast. I know, uh, you know, I'm having my coffee now, so you've got to be, uh, you know, loading up the coffee and maybe some Red Bull out on the West Coast. No, it's fine. I'm an, I'm an early riser anyway. Uh, like I said, I was chugging out of my effectively wild uh, mug, which you can buy at the Banish of the Pen team store. There's me plugging the site. Cheap plug, um, cheap plug. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, thanks for having me. If, uh, if anyone's listening and, uh, you can read me at Viva Albertos, which is a uh, blog about the St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and I'm on Twitter at AlexCard79. Although I always wonder how many people actually hear someone say, I'm on Twitter at blankety blank, and then immediately go follow them. I would say 0.001%. But if you want to follow me, that's where you can find me. Well, let, let's make that up to at least 1% of people listening and follow him because he's definitely a, a worthwhile follow on Twitter. So definitely check that out. And you also do the podcast uh, also on Banished to the Pen. Is it the NL Central? What's the official name? It's it's either the NL Central podcast or the NL Central show. We've done about 16 or 17 of these, and we still kind of use it interchangeably. So just call it whatever you want, I guess. And who's but on that's it? With, and that's with Eric Roseberry and Brandon uh, – Brandon Lee and also uh, Rob Main sometimes and Ross Buskowitz. Um, yeah, we have a fun time doing that. It was just kind of an idea we cooked up before the season started, and uh, you all were nice enough to kind of be our host for it. So thank you for that. Well, it's, uh, it's definitely a worthwhile listen, and uh, definitely check out the show. Alex, thank you so much. Um, yeah. and I'm sure we'll be talking this offseason, hopefully after uh, Rosenthal's traded to the Nationals. Definitely. Fun as always, Ryan. Thank you. All right. Be well. And that was episode 64 of the Banished to the Pen podcast with my special guest, Alex Crisofuli from both Banished to the Pen and Viva Albertos. Uh, I want to thank him for joining me really early on the West Coast this morning and uh, for helping me cover a lot of playoff baseball. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you to him. Uh, if I could, I'd love to give a shout out real quickly to everybody involved with Banish to the Pen, uh, the writers, the technical support staff, editors, uh, and everybody that works with the product uh, that works really hard. We've got a great couple of podcasts now. Uh, as we've mentioned, we've got a lot of people working really hard to uh, put out a good uh, written product on a daily basis. We've seen many of our guys start at Banish to the Pen and get uh, to bigger platforms like Alex at Viva Alberto. So, uh, we recommend if you want to uh, join the writing team, please uh, reach out to us, let us know, and uh, we'd love to have you as part of the team. So with that, one final reminder, please be nice to your fellow listeners. <laughs>